to episode three, and this week it is about, well, where are we just now? We are recording on Monday the 25th of July, and in five days' time it'll be Saturday the 30th, and it'll be time for the opening of the Football League season. So, do not switch off if you're not a football fan, because we're not going to be talking about men kicking bags of wind about a park. We're going to be talking about what goes into making the football season happen. How does a football club run? What stresses and strains and anxieties does it cause? What mishaps can there be? And joining us to talk about it is a man who's been right across the spectrum in football, Gus McPherson, who very successful player in his day with uh, as a youngster with Rangers, with Kilmarnock, with the Femmel, with St Mirren. He was manager at St Mirren. He was general manager at St Mirren. He's been manager at Queen of the South and Morton. And is currently, Gus, and probably only about your second or third pre-season in a million years where you've not been involved in football. How's that feeling? Strange. Strange, but you missed out a club of management. A very, very special club, Queen's Park. Queen's Park, of yeah, course. Yeah. You're, you're Fantastic. Very, you were very successful with, Queen, with Queen's I Park. I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Yeah, they, they, um, yeah, that was a... That was a we'll, come, well, actually, we'll come back to that because there's a different mentality about Queen's Park then. It's a different model now. To, to, other, to other clubs yep. and also the way it is now. But being out of it, do you are you missing it? I think yeah, certain times you will miss it. What times do you miss most? Uh, probably when the weather's not good and you're restricted to your activities. Because as you only know too well, I've suddenly got into cycling. Yep. Um, I've always loved golf. But when the weather's not great, you can't do you know, it. You're stuck indoors. You've got um, a good lady that's desperate for you to do the garden, but you're always your excuse is the weather. But it became a little bit frustrating at the, that time. The cycling thing's interesting because um, obviously we, we look at the mental health aspects of of everyday life on on this show. And when we we went out for him, just listening, we went Gus and I went out cycling a lot, um, sort of last summer, summer before. When you were out of the game, then you were back in the game, but you weren't particularly happy at the time. And how big an escape was that for you to get out on a bike and just do your own thing? Well, I was at St Mirren at the time, you know, and as general manager, technical director, the role there at that point. But then lockdown came, yeah. furloughed, um, looking for things to do, analysing everything that was going on in the world within the football side of it and from the personal side of it realised that it was inevitable, you know, that the role wouldn't be there at St Mirren yeah. because of the financial further was going to, was going to be permanent. Exactly. So we, we were prepared for it. Yeah. It wasn't pleasant, but being professional, we, we accepted it. We, But at that point, that was the time that I got into cycling. Yeah. But, so even from the mental health side of it, it was, it was there and you were preparing yeah. for what was the inevitable you yeah. know, phone call that came. Yeah. It was, it was a, <laughs> a memorable phone call, not for the phone call itself, but I was playing golf at Dunbarney. Right. And thoroughly enjoying myself and looked, oh, there's that phone call I've been expecting. So it, it, it just, that process, you know, with the golf and the cycling, at that point it was great for the mental health just to get out there, you yeah. know, and... Freedom. Freedom, working on your fitness as well, because mm -hmm. it's been... Fantastic for that, the cycling, not yeah. the golf. Um, but it's it's been a real bonus to actually... I've said to the group, I think I've said to yourself, I wish somebody you know, introduced me to cycling maybe 10, 15 years ago because it is such a an experience and a, a sport that you can just take your mind away from everything. There's really not much escape in football, is there? No, no. And you, you can hear the younger generation, you know, that are now getting their opportunity in management, which no gripes at that because that's mm. how I get my chance. It's all consuming, you know, and it's 24-7, yeah. but that's the way it's always been. It's always been like that. You're, you've got to make sacrifices. I'll probably see more of my grandson than you know, in his early years than mm. I did in my own children because the early part at St. Bern, that was, you know, just 24-7. You were doing absolutely everything. We didn't have the staff now that's at most, you know, championship or Premier League clubs, yeah. we were doing every single duty that was expected of you. You know, and that was only because the staffing wasn't there. We had Campbell, who's still there. Campbell Kennedy was a commercial guy. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Kath, who's sadly passed away now, was the secretary, and we had a part-time accountant. And mm-hmm. that was that was the staff members, namely myself and Andy Millen, within the football department. Very, very tight ship and run by the directors at that time. So so there was no um, way that you couldn't take stuff home with you in your head at night, was there? No, no, it was constant. Constant. And even, even going into, you know, later years when you're in the Premier League, it's, survival was the issue at that time. And, you know, we'd, there was one scene, I can't remember what, what it was, but we lost on the Monday night to Dunfermline. Mm-hmm. We were then going to Tannadice. But actually, so... For take the football out, it was constant Friday night, no sleep, trying to go through a team to pick for a game of football. This is the thing oh, that's going to affect your your livelihood, your career. That one game that you just had. If we'd lost the game, we were relegated. We just had to get it right. We won the game, but it was it was hard picking a team for that one. Sleep is certainly something that sport takes away from a lot of people. I was watching a documentary yesterday about um, the England one day cricket team that got to the last World Cup um, final. And so many of the players were saying that the night before the final, they just didn't sleep because everything was going through their head, every possibility. You know, the first ball coming down, they have to they have to bat away, or the first ball they have to bowl, or, or the, the ball dropping out there, they're trying to catch. And they, they live everything in their minds bef- before they go out there. And I'm imagining that that must take, especially when in your playing days, if, if, if you're nervous like that, how much energy does that take out your body for the next day? How tired are you when you go out to, to do your job? I'm going to touch on a, a, a period of time when we were lucky, blessed to have Tommy Burns, yes. who sadly passed away as our manager. At Kilmarnock. At Kilmarnock. Yeah. Um, we were trying to stay in the Premier League at that time. And he was the one that educated us, tried to educate us on sleep, how vital it was to yeah. you in terms of your recovery. But you've got a young family, you know, and it's very, very difficult. What, what was his advice? What was Tommy? Because whatever, I always thought whatever Tommy had to say about anything was worth listening to. I oh, to such a positive individual. Yeah. Um, and I only recently just went to the play at the King's Theatre. Okay. Um, which was, oh, eye-opener, really mm. was real passion in the crowd. And, you know, my son described it, powerful. Powerful. And it really, because my wife phoned me and said, how, how was it? And I said, it was, it was good. It was really... Emotional, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you described it better than you. What did you say? Oh, it was powerful. And powerful. it was so appropriate yeah. for Tommy Burns, you know, to be described in that side of it. But he was the one that educated sleep. You, it was so important for your recovery that you would go and train, play, at every opportunity, you need to try and sleep, you know, and get that recovery. Because there'll be times where you can't, you're tossing and turning. That was in the playing side of it. Yeah. Multiply that by however many. Yeah. When you went to management side of it, you're trying to just get everything out of your mind, but it's impossible. I remember when you were at St. Mirren and um, it came down to the last day of the season, away to Motherwell. It was the second last game. Oh, second last game away to Motherwell. That to, was that to, same to, period to, of time. Right. But I was talking there about Tanadine. to stay up. And I was in Spain on a on a charity thing, um, and. We were going out to do this thing on the Saturday afternoon and my phone was off. And the last thing I saw was that St Mirren were 2-0 down before I went out and I thought, well, that's it, relegated. Put the phone off, came back in at the end and found that we had one three two, and we're going to stay up. And I remember thinking, I missed out on all that and it's happened and it seems very simple. But for you being there in the dugout, watching it, controlling it in one way, but also unable to control anything. What, what was a day like that like? Well, uh, that was the game after the game at Tanadice. Yeah. So we'd selected a team for the game at Dundee United. We won the game. But in my mind, it wasn't the right team to play against Motherwell mm-hmm. the following game. But you f- feel a sense of loyalty well, you have at to, that you, point. You don't want to disappoint guys that have yeah. done a job for you. Yeah, that's the difficult bit of management. You, well, you have to. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have... And that's, again, that was an experience at that time. I should have changed the team. And I, I used it actually in the next pre-season. I said, would MD have understood if I'd changed the team? No, the, the answer was no. I said, we had to. And we did change it, you know, from we were 2-0 down. Yeah. And it had the desired effect. We brought on John Sutton and Billy Mehmet. And we scored two goals pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, you know, I think it was John that popped up and got the third goal. Yeah. It, it, it was an amazing, there's a bit on YouTube 
uh, with the, the great escape, you know, theme music. Yeah. You know, but, but on in that situation, you know, as, as I say, that's the thing I always get with football management is you've spent so long preparing <clears throat> and it's your job that's on the line. If you get the players will still be there next season. Yep. If you get relegated, you won't be there if you get relegated. Most, you know, 99%. And yet you can't do anything. Once they're out there, can you? No, you can't do anything once you're out there. You have the... So what's, what's going on in your head in that... Well, even prior time? to that game, the repercussions then, it's not just for me, you know, in terms of a contract, uh, because we got promotion from the Championship to the Premier League the fall of the, the previous season. Yes. So it was my first season in the Premier League. You think, well, continuity, we could just get stronger and stronger. But if we go down, you're back to square That's one again. Yeah. So you're looking at your career opportunities at that point that are all going to be affected by that you're looking at um, budgets for players you're looking at the club as a whole you know rather than just being selfish and thinking about yourself you think what about the club what about the people that are working at the club well there weren't that many at that time but you're looking to think it's going to affect everybody you know and it's it's amazing how quickly things can change you know whether it be a decision whether it be a goal whether it be any factor during a game that you're not in control of. Well, it's funny because people talk about, you know, these days, oh, football's just a business, it's just a business. But when you compare football to, say, somebody making tins of beans or cars or whatever, anything there's an assembly line and there's an end product and you know your market and you know how many supermarkets are take or showrooms are taking how many cars, there aren't really that many variables. But the variables that come with football mean that it's a business that's not really like it. Although, although it, it is dependent on finance, it's not really a business like any other business, is it? No, because there's things that you can control in a business. But there's so many other aspects to a game of football that you're not in control of. Once those players cross that white line, you know, they're, <laughs> they're beck and call to get the decisions right and then you've got the other guy in the middle of the park rightly or wrongly whose decision could affect the so referee, much yeah, yeah could affect so much yeah so it is unavoidable that the knock-on effect if it goes against you is going to be taken back into the house mm -hmm. to yeah. your wife to your kids to your friends to whoever else how did how did you cope as firstly as a player then as a manager with with defeat very very tough you know in terms of as the manager because not only you take that home but you're realizing it's affecting a group of players yeah staff at a club and they're all taking it home as well they're all taking yeah. it home as well but i think you're carrying that burden ever so slightly more okay um andy millen who was my assistant at the time who would always say the standing joke was that was him in the fourth bedroom light shut curtains shut you know, lights off, cutting shot. Yeah. That was him until the, the Sunday afternoon. You yeah. know, he used to take it home, but detach himself from the family. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't as bad as that, but they would obviously see the mood swings. Yeah. Quite, you know, apparent, you know. And you actually tell young coaches now that we're, we're friendly with, don't get too high and don't get too yeah. low and try and keep that even cue. That's great coming for me. Yeah when I was so emotional at that point of it. But that was the early part of the career side of it. You learn to try and, you know, handle that a lot better now as well. So it's it's difficult. We, we, we talk about things you can control and things you can't control. We talk, You've talked here about clubs with big staffs and small staffs. There's an amazing story broke over the last few days about uh, Hibs. Now, if MD's not a football fan and doesn't, doesn't know what happened, Hibs, one of the biggest clubs in the Scottish Premier Chip, um, have a player called Rocky Bushiri who actually they were going to let him go they'd had him in loan last season they were going to let him go back to his own club and it turned out he'd played enough games to trigger a full-time contract so they kept him on he then was shown a yellow card in two successive games which meant he should have been suspended for the game they played last Wednesday night against Gus's old club Morton but for some reason they put him on the team he played and it resulted in them being thrown out of the tournament now, to me, looking at a club that size with such a staff, they've got, you know, a, a managing director and they've got heads of this and heads of that and whatever else. They've got a big management team and a big, you know, social media team and whoever else. 
and nobody has spotted this. And it seems such a basic mistake for a big organisation to make. Is it, is it well, obviously something that shouldn't happen. How surprised were you by it? I'm very surprised when you bring in, you know, the aspect, the size of yeah. Hibs Football Club. But these things happen. I've experienced it. Kilmarnock experienced it not too long ago with similar, they signed a player who was suspended from his previous involvement in the same cup competition. So he was suspended, but nobody checked it at Kilmarnock because he was at Wraith Rovers at the time. So they, they can happen. It happened to you at St Mern, didn't it? Oh, it happened at St Mern. We were top of the division, but it was the Scottish Cup mm -hmm. because at that time there was a rule of two under 21 players it had to be it had to be on the subs bench. on the team or lines in the, in, in the, in squad, the team yeah. lines but um, we only had one it happened in the previous round as well that because there was you know players away I think it was but we just put one on it was pure luck yeah. in the previous round against Motherwell and got away we with it we got away with it by pure luck again, I, against... I wasn't made of because again we were the only ones in the football department myself yeah. and Andy there wasn't really a football minded person above us, it all landed on the doorstep of the manager. That's what made me think about Hibs. I wondered how many people in the management structure are football minded and how many are business minded. Mm -hmm. Because somewhere along the line, a very basic. Now, what, what I was going to ask you was, what does that do when the. So, if I, from memory, something I think we're allowed to replay the game against Spartans, it was in the Cup, but we're fined. 25 or 30,000 yeah. pounds, which at that time is a lot of money yeah. for the club. What kind of internal stress did that put on having such a tiny mistake? I didn't feel at the time there was a stress, but then when you, at the time when we were made aware of this error, I didn't feel it. But then as the time went on, you realise what could be the repercussions of this, you yeah. know, because it happened a while ago with Eamon Bannon. Falkirk he did, yeah. yeah. Falkirk Falker played a, a, a player who, again, was unregistered. It came back. They were fined, again, £25,000. But that in that time, the club took the decision to sack Eamon. That's right. Manager. It cost him his job. So, yeah. But that could have happened. We were top of the uh, the championship as it is now, but there was still financial pressure on for... I think, actually, because it appealed that and it got reduced mm -hmm. to £10,000. But even still... That was still a, a healthy, you know, yeah. fine in those days. So you feel the pressure there that you've, your responsibility at that time has cost that fine, yeah. you know. But as I say, it was something that we were not aware of. Yeah. Actually, in later years after that, because there was nothing on the team sheets at that time that, that there had to be 221 players. The next time the team sheets were changed for the Scottish Cup, they actually had that rule and print on the team sheet. Well, funnily enough, yesterday after Hibs played a friendly, uh, the manager Lee Johnson said that he thinks there should be like an automatic flagging comes up online when somebody's due to be suspended, which might not do any harm, but I still think, you know, somewhere in a, in a club that size, there should be... I think even in my time since that, you've learnt, over the period of time in Manic, you've learnt, if you in like any walk of life, I think somebody would say the same thing. If you want something done properly, do it yourself. So you keep an eye on it. All the suspense. The interesting thing with the, the Hibs scenario is it was two bookings in the, in the in, two in previous that, in, in that, that competition. In that competition, exactly. Somebody should have flagged. Now, if Lee's just in the job and came up, this is his first competitive tournament, mm -hmm. somebody should have been flagging up the rules of the competition. Yeah. The two bookings in that competition leads to a suspension. Yeah, somebody should have flagged that up to him. Yeah, but as you say, you're you're saying you know if you want something done right, do it yourself. But there's a thin line between that and then becoming over controlling, is there not? And becoming obsessed with yeah. you know because there there also has to be an art of delegation. Now I know that if you're in a, in a if you're in the situation that's at Mandalay later on when you were at Malta yeah. and you've got a very small staff, it's not easy to delegate. But it that it comes down to the size of the yeah. clubs. It's probably out with Premier League and probably 80% of the championship clubs, you've got that delegation side of it. But you look beyond that, you know, probably two or three of the championship clubs and then you go into your part-time, you go do it yourself. Queen's Park was different as well at mm. that time when I was there. 
fantastic infrastructure. Well, I was going to ask you about that because there's that's such a. I mean, Queens Park now gone professional. They've you know they moved out of Hamden or, or or moved out of the big stadium, but at the time, what did it do for you? I mean, Queens Park were an amateur club at the time. You know, they were they had gone down the leagues. They were you know there was nothing special about Queens Park except that you could go to your young guy and say, do you want to come and play for Queen's Park? And you'll play all your home games at the National Stadium. You'll be changing in the National Stadium changing rooms and playing on the National Stadium pitch. What did that do to young players, to their heads? It can convince them, you know, to come and play. But even the infrastructure of the club enabled the head coach, that was the title, yeah. you were the head coach. You didn't need to worry about that side of it. You know, the administration side of it. And we made mistakes in the administration side of our registrations. And we weren't, we got our knuckles wrapped as well. Okay. But that wasn't just us. That was, you know, the administration side of it. So there's the whole infrastructure of the club is there to help the head. In those days, to help the head coach. You were able to convince players to come from amateur, junior, um, youth level, from, you know, their time at professional level, to come in and play and be in a short window because scouts loved, used to love to go Hamden yeah. just the comfy seats and relaxed atmosphere. On the other side of that, what did it do to the away team coming in in the bus down into the, the Hamden bowels and, and being part of... Did it lift them against you? I think so. I think look, I think even when the fix just came out, the, the the opposition at that level of football would look, when are we going to play at Hamden? Just an obvious reaction. They would look for that fixture and the dates to when they would come. Yeah. Um, but I remember Andy Millen, who was, I think, 44, 45, when he played at Queen's Park, he struggled to deal with it because at that level of football, it's a wee bit longer ball, uh -huh. direct, whereas Queen's Park, you pass the ball, short, sharp. They were able to deal with it on that size of pitch. Okay. We'd played full-time clubs. We had a really good team at my time there, my third full season played some full-time teams and beat them. And they struggled, really struggled to cope with the size of the pitch. And you don't appreciate it, you know, no, you don't from it. that. And, and how much of that is a physical thing and how much of that is a mental thing? Physical, probably 50-50, you okay. know, because I think you're spooked as soon as you go out there. You look at the size of this place, but it was part of the recruitment, which is a major factor. You know, in any football club, there's a recruitment side of it. Probably one of the most stressful aspects of it that we were always able to try and recruit fit young players, you know, who could get about the pitch and 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 just the name Hamden, yeah, was, yeah. was the was the big thing. And again, they didn't they paid expenses, you know, yeah. and um, that was it. So you were competing against junior clubs who were paying you know reasonable wages for that level of football. Uh -huh. but our sales pitch was to get them into. The, over to Hamden because we had to ask for permission to get over there to show them about into the dressing rooms and whatnot. Oh, did you? Okay. Get a slot to get over there, show them the pitch. And wow. See. But even the lesser Hamden, the facilities that they had there were yeah. incredible as well. And and do you think a club like Queen's Park and certainly their, in their amateur days expected higher standards of behaviour from players? Oh, without a doubt. Dress codes, with, all that kind of stuff? I think the dress code had sort of slackened okay. ever so slightly, but they still expected standards, you know, in terms of your recruitment of players. There were players that just didn't fit the bill for whatever reason, you mm -hmm. know, one reason or another. But, you know, you, they still expected standards. If a player got into trouble, they were, you know, they were reprimanded or, you know, asked to leave. Or asked to you leave. You know, that was, they were as strict as that. But at that time, it was probably just what I needed. Yeah. You know, because I'd, I'd been at Queen of the South, which was a difficult period of time because there was a takeover going on at that time as well with the club and it wasn't enjoyable so we came out of there I think it was out for probably six, seven months I think it was and it, the Queen's Park thing just came up at the right time and the whole environment for me personally again to get that enjoyment in football as well yeah there's pressure and there's demands and there's expectations but I enjoyed it because it wasn't to the level that we'd experienced at St Martin, you know, and it was just what I needed at that time. Yeah, and and what did what did that do for you on the outside, out, outside football? How did that, how did that show itself in the rest of your I think life? Even 
I think the family would probably notice this. There was a more enjoyment toward it. wasn't a cutthroat mm-hmm. environment with a professional side. Even though you still had to win every week. We still had, I mean, you had a committee there. Uh-huh. If you weren't winning games, they'd be asking questions. Or if somebody who was getting, you know, an expense wasn't in the squad, well, why have we still got him? There were okay. still questions asked of your management, if it be that, mm-hmm. or your, your decisions and how you were going about, which was, was healthy. There was no problem with that, but it was just a different pressure as such, you know, and it didn't affect, you know, going back home. Yeah, you know, you'd be disappointed, but you could quickly put it to the side and go on with other things. Okay, on the flip side of that, what what would you say, certainly in management, what has been the most difficult time, the unhappiest time you've had? I think probably the last couple of years, last year at St Mirren was really, really difficult because relationships had broken down between the board and myself okay. because of how things were expected, questions were being asked, which I didn't agree with yeah. at that time. Um, they clearly didn't agree with how we were expecting to do things as well. Um, it then became pretty obvious because we had a terrific cup run mm-hmm. and we got to the final, but there was a real a cup, yeah. falling out yes. between the players and the board because it was they were affecting, but it was all down. So what was the fallout between? It was over the bonus, over bonus, bonus system. Um, but it was really directed at me to try and affect me that would affect the player. They, they, they would deny it. It's, it's different opinions yeah. at that time, but it, I just didn't enjoy it. It yeah. had been building up for a while. It had been really building up. I mean, I presume the relationship between, I mean, obviously between the manager and his assistant manager is really important. Relationship between manager and players, massively important. But where in that chain comes the relationship between manager and chairman? I had a fantastic relationship with Stuart Gilmer. Stuart Gilmer was the chairman at the time. Yeah. Never had a problem. One or two other directors had different opinions at that time regarding players, which happens. It'll happen mm-hmm. at every club. But that was just my experience. And it just wasn't, I just didn't enjoy it. You know, no. it was becoming personal. You were getting phone calls in the early hours of the morning, voicemail messages, you know, and then you're questioning them the next day. Oh, blah, 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 blah. They were blaming it in drink. And I'm, yeah, okay. oh, this, I don't need this. No. I do need it, but in terms yeah. of working, but that's not what you sign up to, to, to listen to abuse yeah. from that. And it was personal. Yes, and, and, and so it was inevitable what was going to happen at that game. So that's and it's it. funny because we 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 complain a lot. You know, I, I do in my job, and you do in football. And we all do about social media and the abuse that comes that way. But but if you're getting sort of personal stick from people who are basically your employers, yeah, yeah, and I, that's, they that's had their different. issues. Yeah, absolutely. That they were trying to promote as well, yeah. and it was it just wasn't healthy. It was as simple as that. I mean, back in those days. Social media really wasn't no. a factor. You had fan zones. Yes. We would always say to players, because it was really just starting out. Yeah. Back then, and that was... So 2010. Even 2003, I think, 2004, we took over. Yes. So it wasn't really a no, thing. It, wasn't it was really thing in, then. in its infancy. But we'd always say, because, you know, a younger generation, they're wanting to see what's going on in the world. And if that affects you mentally... Do not, and by the way, we would also say to them, don't go on to it because you'll very rarely see anything positive. Well, that's the thing. There's sometimes you, people, you have to discourage people from pulling out a thread. Yep. Because there's something you're not going to find, yep. you're not going to want to find at the other yep. end of it. But people can't resist. No, no then again, it's, it's multiplied however much you want to say now so on social media. So there's one of the big things about, about football and stress and anxiety is when you are a young player at Kilmarnock, back in the day when people would boo from the terraces yep. or if things were really bad, they'd maybe stand outside the front door and shout abuse at the manager when he came out. But you didn't get that 24-7 Twitter, Instagram, whatever else, cons, Facebook constant thing. Um, and, I, and I think for young people generally now in the world, it's, it's a more, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the programme, for young people generally growing up, I don't think I'd like to be a no. teenager now growing up. But what, what's the, the difference in the sort of bubble you live in as a player back in the 90, late 80s, early 90s when you were making your way to now? What would you, 
What would you say the difference there's is? There's no hiding place. And I, I don't mean, I just mean there's no escape. There's no escape. from Because it's there and it's, it's a generation that the first thing they think of doing is taking the phone out and taking a picture. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't there no. at the time. You know, you, you could live your life. You could, you could play, you could train, you could go home. That would be it. There'd be no interfere. Maybe go to the pub for a few drinks. Mm -hmm. You'd meet somebody who was at the game, but that was it. There was no intrusion. Yeah, and I still, okay. I, I don't get how some high-profile people want to go on your social media things like Twitter and Instagram, and then complain about it. I don't get that. Privacy. I saw a story just before I came out today about a thirty-three-year-old guy playing for an Australian rugby league team who videoed himself vaping in the dressing room toilet during the game. He wasn't playing in the game, he was in the squad, but he, but vaping is forbidden in the stadium and players are forbidden from having their phones in the dressing room on match day. And he videoed himself and put it on social media, vaping in the dressing room toilet. I think, how much of a self-destruct button? This, now he's been sacked. So yeah. how much of a self-destruct button? And we see all the time people filming themselves doing things that they shouldn't be doing and then sharing them with a Kurt Zuma kicking his yeah. cat around the kitchen and his brother filming it and putting it on social media. Now that is, it's not ruined his career because the club allowed him to yeah. play on, but it's going to, you know, he's going to end up in court and blah, blah, blah. I, I just, I can't get my head around that. Even the, even the mobile phones were coming in. Uh-huh. The younger generation that they, they need it all the time. Yeah, they can't do without it. Game at Fir Park, half time, did were top. Getting beat, ranting a rave. <laughs> and uh, well, players, the sub, players had went out. The subs were coming in. Now I was in the toilet. I'll I'll no name the kid. The young kid comes in from the pitch, who was sub and he was warming up half time. Because then he looks at his phone. And I've come out from the toilet. Oh, what are you doing? Because we were they say we banned phones from the dressing room. Mm -hmm. I just said, just go and get a shower now. There's no point. Because you're no you've looked at your phone, you're in, you're not interested in the game. Just get a shower because you're not going. And that was me as a young manager. Would I handle that differently? Now, a hundred percent. Would you? Just through experience. So what would you what would you say now? I'd probably just question, what are you doing? I wouldn't, I wouldn't punish him. To Would that. you talk to him on the Monday morning? Of course, or whatever? yes. Yeah, but it was, it just was managed that way at that time. I still have a good relationship with the kid. Okay. We actually laugh about it now. And he's the one that brings it up to me when I see him at games. You know, if you're out and about, because he's still playing and he still talks about it. And he, he realises how stupid he was because he knew the rules. Yeah. Do you think that did him good? At the time? I don't know. No, because I think he's talked more recently about the problems that he's had and the addictions okay. that he's had. So maybe I, because the one thing I learnt at Queen's Park was a thing that I've touched upon. I mean, I think I've said to you previously, it was emotional intelligence. Yes. No, they'd educated me on that. No. You know, in terms of if you want to be a manager of an organisation, of a group of athletes or a group of employees... You must have emotional intelligence. So, so what's your understanding of what emotional intelligence is to you? Just to try and put yourself into their position. Don't be this big ogre that's trying to dictate. You've got to have empathy. That was that was a, that was the management style of that the seventies and eighties, and that's what you what I was as a brought kid. up yeah. with. You know, there was, but that that isn't the way. There's no way. There's certainly. There's got to be a balance because some people would say there's the snowflake side of it within a dressing room as well. Mm -hmm. There's got to be demands. Well, from 2004, when you've taken your first crack at management until last season, when, yep. when you left management for the, for, the, for the present time, what would you say? I mean, taking away social media and phones, just as human beings, how much has the 18, 19-year-old professional footballer changed as a person? I think they're not as driven. I think they're more reliant on a surrounding network to them. I think it can go back to the household that if if you're not educating them, discipline, standards, 
that's still a factor that's got to be taken into so, so might any you, professional sport, not just football. So might you be the only... We can be there, yeah, we can be the one there. But, the but only you might one be the only discipline in their life. That's trying to educate them from that side. And they may resent that, Okay. but then you've got to try and tackle it a different way. Whereas back in the day, you would just discard them. If you're not going to listen. We, we did a coaching course, it was a pro licence. Um, Marcello Lippi had said to us, look, you need to be intelligent. If you don't take in instructions, you maybe once, twice, but with the third time, if you're not taking in that instruction, you're no use. Okay. You, you can't be that way now. No. You've got to try and help because it's the might be the only time that they're actually getting any kind of guidance in their life. Because wow. I've come across players that have had difficult experiences that I could only imagine must be so, so difficult. I couldn't experience it. Because no. even in the first week, I experienced something in management. The father came to me and said, do you mind if he can get the day off tomorrow because it's the anniversary of his daughter passing away? If it's of his sister, his sister passing away. away. I went, of course. No, family always is first from that side of it. Yeah. But again, you're put into scenarios. Who's educated you? Who's taught you how to do these things? Mm. Now that can only go from your mm. own you know, standards. Yes. Some people say it would be simple putting into that situation. But nobody's educated. Nobody's told you these things are no. going to happen to you. The, the, I think the fortunate thing is, especially for men, for young men, for older men as well, we are starting to talk yeah. more. Uh, we've seen a whole lot of footballers and other sports men and women feel a lot freer recently to come out and talk about the issues they've been facing and it's um, it's a very healthy thing and it leads on to other people who who look up to them doing the same thing. Um, going back 30 odd years to the dressing room, I don't think people talked about mental health issues at all. What's the matter with him? What's up with you? Mm. So if you came in and, you, and your face was tripping you and you did a really terrible day and whatever's happened and you've come into training and you, and, and you looked a bit miserable, what would the older guy say to you? They probably wouldn't even not speak to you. You were stuck. Go back to Rangers. You were doing their way dressing them. So you really just did your own little crowd. Yeah. First team were up. But would, there. A, would anybody ever put an arm around you and say, Gus, what's up, mate? No, it just that wasn't the culture in those days. Somebody would say, you, and I can't think of any off the top of my head, but somebody may say, is everyone okay? Aye. But it wasn't meant in the context. What they didn't you want know? to do was say, can we sit down and talk for exactly. half an hour? They, exactly. they wanted you to say, I'm all right. Yeah. Which was the general guy's thing. You'd say, you all right, mate? I'm fine, Ta. Yeah. Have another pint. That's great. Let's go on with things. Whereas now you're saying, well, actually, no. Um, I'm looking for somebody that'll maybe listen to me. For, which but is we, a, are, we are taught now we are, to ask the question. Yes, to ask, yeah, absolutely. To ask a question. Yeah. And if you don't get the response you expect, you can then yeah. lead it again. Absolutely. Are you sure? You know, because you're showing a genuine... Interest. I did the mental health with the PFA uh -huh. course with the, the Mitchell Foundation. Okay. Uh, and I found it without a doubt educational. Mm -hmm. And really, again, I was at Queen's Park at the time. So all loaded up together with the, the mental health and the emotional. Detail. Just another platform that you can touch on and you can listen to experience. You then can relate to and also that you take into your own daily life as well. and you can then ask questions of people yeah. and I have asked that question since I've done the course and I would I don't think I would ever have asked the question are you okay are you okay with that element why prepared, you're asking it and being prepared for the for the following question yeah, yeah. And why are you not okay yeah. what's wrong so it's again it's the part of it where yeah. you've got to be ready to, to to do something and let people know that you're there for them, taking away. And I've, the football side up, Queen's Park again, that we never touched on, was part-time. Yeah. It was my first time of part-time. Of course. And to see what these players were giving up just to play football. Yeah. You know, and the... And the extra work yeah. they were putting in yeah. fitness-wise because yeah, yeah. they were only training twice a week or whatever. Yeah, twice a week. And then if you're going away from home, you're uh -huh. to Montrose or going to Abroath, places like that. You know, it's the commitment. I mean, we went, we went up to Montrose in a midweek game. Mm. And we eventually went, and I'd ready for after the game anyway. I was just going to say to them, thanks for coming. And we won the game, I think, four or five, one. They were brilliant that night. But literally, that's all I said. Thanks for coming. 
because you that I don't think they, that's not what they expected. No, but it was just showing your appreciation, and it was genuine that they actually gave up what they've given up. It's probably taken a half day from their work, whatever financial you know commitment that is to them. That you say thanks. Yeah, you know, just appreciate. It. So again, flipping back to young Gus, you must now know of players then whose heads weren't in a in a good place. Yeah. What obviously we know that nobody put their arm round their shoulder then. How how bad do you do you not you personally, but you feel now that we didn't look after these boys back then? Nobody nobody was available for them. No, that that's the bit that and we touched on social media and the and probably the negative side of there's a lot of positive there that's yeah. educational. Yeah. That there's people there who say that we want to listen. We've got to ask the question first and foremost. But that wasn't there before, probably because people were ignorant to that factor mm -hmm. of it as well, that they were they can help just by asking. And then they might, you know, get somebody to open up and to share their problems. We we did have an attitude then, I say we, I mean people generally, but football just got on with it. Yeah. I think that was in, in most male industrial yeah. environments. Because that's where football was. Physically or mentally. Football just was an in industrial it. environment. Of course you it know, was. It was yeah. Boys coming from the schemes. That's maybe a factor which isn't there as prominent now. Right. Scheme footballers. Yeah. You know, because the academies are so reliant on parents yeah. taking them to training. So I think clubs could be four, three, four times a week. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're back and forward, and the parents. And again, it, it comes down to logistics as well. That, like, do so you think boys were more self reliant, and they'd get on the yeah, bus and they'd go to train, and they'd meet their mates, they'd do their thing, they'd go home themselves. Yeah, that was it. You you made decisions for yourself, but again, because of the commitment and the professionalism, now the, the boys can't do that. Well, what did you have to learn when you went to Kilmarnock and you were trying to get into the first team, and there was big big guys in there that, you know, guys that have been there forever. What was, the, what was the thing that you had to learn most of all that helped you survive and get on? Um, just to actually be in that environment, to stand in your own two feet. Yeah. Make decisions. You know, the, the higher up you go in football, and any, again, I keep saying football, but it's in any walk of life and in industry or whatever, you've got to make good decisions. If you make poor decisions... You'll not progress. You'll not, you'll not further in your career. How do you learn how to make good decisions? In the environment, you've you've got to have good people round about you. Um, but even going back in the day, you'd stand in your own two feet. You know, you'd experience players round about you. If you were only making the decisions, you were quickly told about it. Okay. But you couldn't keep making the same mistakes. I guess the Marcel Lippi thing. Over, how many yeah. times you need yeah. to be told? Yeah, that's right. So you yeah. go... You're in there when yeah. I went to command. I was first team football at Rangers for five years. It was reserve team football, testimonials, mm -hmm. odd games here and there. No pressure, real environment other than the Rangers yeah. side of it. But you go to command and you're in front of a crowd. Aye. It's a completely different yeah. environment okay. that you're going there. You, you sink or swim. And again, going back, it's like management. It's, there's no nobody teaching you sink or swim. That's the thing. Put in that one. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? People step up from you stepped up from being a player to yep. being a manager, and nobody sent you on a course. No, How you do your coaching course. Yeah, but, co but it's coaching courses nothing to but do manage with management. Management and coaching no. are two different things. No. So, last two questions I'm going to ask you. First one is, you know, you talk about put, you know, asking the players now what's wrong and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, are you okay? Who motivates the motivator? Who asks the manager the question? Are you okay? That's the question, you know, because you get into frustrating situations mm -hmm. as a manager. Um, and it was going back to when I was a manager at St. Martin, SPL delegate at the time was Tommy McLean, and he was the first person that said that to me. How are you? How are you? I'm not great. I says, it's just a, it's not a good environment that we're in here at the moment. That was all the hullabaloo at the time. They don't know who motivates the motivator. That's the question, wow. isn't it? Wow. So somebody, just with his experience, it was able to... So, and again, I look at it now, and great that younger coaches are coming in. Mm -hmm. Who's there in a position at a football club 
that's got the intelligence or awareness to actually understand the issues that that individual's going through. Because we're see, you're right, we are seeing a lot of young managers coming through and coaches, but we're also seeing them jettison very yeah. early. Yeah, John yeah. Maloney last season by Hibs, James McPake yep. at Dundee. It's happening a lot. They're coming in, they're not getting the time that they need. Yep. Um, they're being announced with a big fanfare. This is the, this is the next big big thing, and then next thing they're out again, and there doesn't seem to be any real emotional. There might be a financial safety net. There's certainly not an emotional safety no, net for them, is there? It's, it's really challenging, really challenging. Because back in the day, we didn't have the social media that would go on, mm. and directors wouldn't see it. Yeah. There's a lot of directors now that are influenced and by fans, by yeah. fans and social media. Even so, one mentioned it when I was at Morton. Mm. Oh, they're saying this and that. And I don't even know what the platform was, but oh, they're saying this. What does it matter? So what? We've got a job to do here. It's a completely different environment that you're trying to create yeah. than what they've been expecting. Yeah. But you've got to educate them as well. But that wasn't happening at that time as well. Okay, last question then. Having said all that, do you want to get back in? Yeah. Yeah. Why? I still feel we've got something to offer. It, it, it's, you always say we, by the way, when you talk about management. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's just the, the hidden one that's always there. I mean, I've always worked with Andy Millen. Well, apart from the Queen's Park side uh -huh. of it, but it's just weird. I never ever made decisions for my own gain. I always felt you're making them for the uh, team. The reason I'm the asking club. is the reason I ask is I'm, I'm hearing that a lot in sport now. Jordan Spieth and golf's a big one. He talks about we all the time. Yeah. And I almost think does he mean him and his caddy? Does he mean him and his coaches? Or is it him and the bit of him that he talks to himself? I don't know. So they probably these guys, I'm only guessing they've got a team behind yeah. them whether it be fitness but that's what you fitness managers mm. and whatnot but i always believe that you're making decisions for the football club yeah and so even when you go and speak to them you're saying well here's how i would do it you know, reduce your numbers from however many you are and you work with a smaller squad you, you know you get quality in there so you're not really affecting your budget too much but just little nuggets like that but you would say that's more important but if you're not getting results because yeah. that's the the be all and end all with it is it's getting results. You know, I mean that it's there's got to be a bigger picture to to actually for a club to progress, there has to be continuity. Not just in you know, team management, mid management and upper management. There's got to be a coming together to actually say there's continuity there. If you don't get continuity, it just keeps turning over and turning over all the time. You go back to this cup competition, mm -hmm. it is too early because there's already you're looking at maybe three or four managers that are under pressure. Yeah. Before a league game. Before a league game's played. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. The, the, that's why part of me hopes that you get your wish and you get back in and part of me hopes run a mile, you know, buy a coffee shop, get a paper <laughs> shop, go and live somewhere there's, sunny. There's other things that <laughs> you know, I could be doing. I've got yeah. projects going on at yeah. the moment. I'm trying to build a house as well. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot going on. But there's still that nagging bit that you could help somebody, whether that be an employer of a club, again, whether it be an individual, because of your experience. Yeah. At, at most levels, you know, going back down from the Premier League to League Two, an amateur club for part time, and learning as much there about, ma in fact, more about management than you did at the Premier than League. I did in the top. So there must be value there to, to share that with somebody. It's an astonishing pool that football has, hasn't it? For all that, you could sit here for hours and list all the negatives and all the horror, horror stories that have happened, and yet people still want to go back in. It's very frustrating, and that frustration does come back to what yeah. the prime subject is mental health. That frustration really can get to the younger ones with mental health. Mm. You would think now, you know, mid-50s, that you think you, you have the tools equipped to deal with that but this football never surprises you because there's always some there that what the hell is he doing that for you know and it's it's up the stairs it's within the dressing room it's in the stands it's, it's, it's the in fans, the stands it's on the social media it's, yeah, it's on the social it's very yeah. very difficult industry to to enjoy but if you could go into that cocoon just to try and get a team together get a real team spirit a group of young boys. Does that make up for uh, everything? That makes up for it. It really does make up for it. If people could understand that, that doesn't just happen overnight. That yeah. doesn't just happen in one transfer window 
or in a short space of three to six months, I can sometimes take a couple of years to actually develop that group and keep it together. It's far too much, too many turnaround in players, financial as well. They're getting one-year contracts. If you're lucky, you're getting a two-year contract. Mm. Again, the mental health that that's affecting them with their families you know, going year to year. And also moving from city to city to country to country. Whatever. But you're now yeah. actually seeing, if you're for talking Scotland, there's some really good part-time yeah. clubs. They're are both, are both brilliant, yeah. Perfect example where they've kept a real core of a group of players together. And management. And management, but they've, they've kept the players... The players have all experienced full-time football, yeah. but they've now said, oh, no, it's not really for me. I like I'm, it here. I like it here. I'm getting paid suitably. But I'm getting a decent career. I'm getting on a career ladder yeah. elsewhere. So they've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, it's not just Montrose. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a lovely model. Airdrie have got a, a similar model with the hybrid with some younger full-time one. It's the way to go. The, 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 the younger players, if they're not satisfied with the environment or the demands of a full-time club, they should certainly be exploring that avenue. Right. Well, I hope somebody's listening and gets on the phone to you as soon as well. As soon as this hits the airwaves. Um, Gus, it's been an absolute joy having you here. I hope you are back in soon because the game misses you. I appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Probably more than you miss it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> thanks very much to Gus McPherson. Thanks for listening to Timeline and I will speak to you again soon. All the best. Bye-bye. <laughs>